Thanks again to the worship band. It was wonderful. Really, really wonderful. And uh, I could run off and talk about worship for a long time because the subject of worship is going to come up sort of peripherally in the message today. This is the um, last message in our Accidental Holy Spirit series. Did you know that the thing we've done for the last number of weeks was an accident? God never intended us to talk about the Holy Spirit. We, we, you know, anytime you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're going to get in some kind of trouble. So we, we just avoid that wherever possible, but accidentally we stumbled into the discussion of the Holy Spirit, and now we're all better for it, right? Okay, this is the last installment, and uh, I call this message Getting Carried Away. I'm seriously disappointed that the, uh, the font that I used in the title, Getting Carried Away, didn't didn't make it up onto the screen because it's this kind of spooky, weird font that clearly looks spooky. And I really wanted that to come across. Getting carried away like, like something really spooky or strange is going on. And why do I say that? Most Western Christians, it, it's changing. Uh, thank God for this. It's, it's changing. But a lot of Western Christians have a serious aversion to the supernatural power of God. They're simply not comfortable with it. The problem is that much of the time when God touches us, it elicits an emotional reaction. How many of you have experienced that? Have you experienced that? I mean, I find myself in the middle of worship singing the songs and, and not really paying much attention to the lyrics and wandering, my mind is wandering, thinking about something else and and then I find myself all of a sudden paying attention to, to a particular phrase in a song and I'm overcome emotionally and I find I'm tearing up and I'm not even sure why. When God touches us, it is often an emotional experience. Now, should this surprise us? We are made in his image. Is God emotional? Yes, yes. All you, all you have to do is read the Old Testament and you find out that God has issues. He, he's capable of getting quite angry. He's, he's capable of getting quite jealous. He's, he's prone to a temper and some outbursts. Bad things happen. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's gentle. He's the source of everything that we are emotionally. So... A rich emotional life is to be a characteristic of the Christian. Our life with God should be a rich and emotional life. And most of us can agree with this as long as we're not emotional about God or we can be a little bit emotional about God. We can have occasional warm feelings about God. And it's okay as long as we don't get carried away. This is an interesting phrase. I got to thinking about this phrase, carried away. What do we mean when we say, don't get carried away? You don't want to get carried away. I'm not going to get carried away.
carried away with this, with that. Well, I thought about it, and here's what it suggests. It suggests that we start in one place, and we end up in another. Isn't that what it is to get carried away? We're one place, we get carried away, and we're in another place. But the connotation is always that the second place isn't as good as the first place. Otherwise, we'd want to get carried away. But no, it's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's something unattractive. It also suggests that rather than us taking ourselves to this other place, someone or something else is carrying us. Like you got kidnapped or you got hijacked or something. You carried away to another place. And in this image of being carried away as we define it, there's a measure of not being in charge or in control. We're going someplace we haven't chosen to go. We're being carried away by someone or something other than ourselves. And we think this place we're going to is worse than where we were. And we fear that because when you're being carried away, you don't know quite where you're going or where you're going to end up. Have you ever had the experience of being lost? When I was about six, I got lost in the woods on a camping trip. I'll tell you what, the panic that comes over you when you don't realize where you are or where you're going is really frightening. We have this human fear of uncertainty, of not knowing. We demand to be in control. These two realities, being uncertain and not in control, are very threatening for us humans. Anybody echo that? Anybody? You, you guys are, are all, you're all so secure, you never ever feel any ill at ease when you're uncertain? We're not in control. So we have an aversion to uncertainty and not being in control. But look, what if this is exactly what God has in mind for us when we interact with his spirit? Maybe we're supposed to be uncertain about where this experience is going. Maybe we're supposed to be uncertain about where we might end up and maybe interacting intimately with his spirit is an exercise in trust. Maybe this is how he wants it to be. Maybe we really do start in one place and end up in another and maybe getting there isn't up to us. Maybe we're supposed to be carried away by the Holy Spirit. Okay, if that's possible, if that is his intent, what does it mean to be in the Holy Spirit? Have you noticed those phrases in Scripture? Worshiping in the Holy Spirit. Jesus was in the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to pray in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is about peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. This phrase, in the Holy Spirit, keeps on popping up over and over again. And it's in really important places. Let's look at some of them. Number one, Luke 10, 21. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, we could interpret this and say, well, that probably means that Jesus rejoiced because of the Holy Spirit. Like, Jesus is thankful for the Holy Spirit in his life, so he's rejoicing for the Holy Spirit. But we're going to find out in a minute that's not what the word in means. So this is a puzzling thing because is Jesus God? Okay. Is the Holy Spirit God? Then the Holy Spirit's always in Jesus. But is Jesus always in the Holy Spirit? No. No. Because Jesus is human and he's God. And in his humanity, there's times when he's in the Holy Spirit, in terms of what this means, which we'll find out in a minute. And there's times when he's not in the Holy Spirit. I know this presents a logical difficulty. One of the problems we have in understanding Jesus is we spend a lot of time viewing him through the lens of his divinity, but we don't spend much time viewing him through the lens of his humanity. And you know they're equal. He's not, you know, 99% God and 1% human. He's 100% human and 100% God. So there's times when in his humanity, Jesus was in the Holy Spirit, and there's times when he wasn't. Which really makes us wonder, what does it mean to be in the Holy Spirit? How about this instruction? Jude 1.20. We are to pray in the Holy Spirit. Well, to, if we're supposed to pray in the Holy Spirit, and we're being told to pray in the Holy Spirit, it probably means there's times when we're not praying in the Holy Spirit. Does that follow? So we as humans have moments when, although he's always in us, we're not always in him. Are you getting it? So there's some difference between when we're in the Holy Spirit, in the biblical definition, which we're going to figure out in a minute, and when we're not in the Holy Spirit. Well, if we're supposed to pray in the Holy Spirit, which prayers are more likely to get answered? The ones we pray in Him or the ones we don't? Probably in Him. Probably. How about this one? Revelation 1.10. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. Well, that suggests there was times when he wasn't in the Spirit. And uh, behind me, I heard a loud voice. And then he has this, <laughs> this experience, this transcendent experience of seeing into heaven and <laughs> being carried away by the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is about peace, righteousness, and joy in your own human condition. Oh, that's not what it says. In the Holy Spirit. Guys, when Paul wrote that, your peace, your righteousness, and your joy is what the kingdom of God is all about. And experiencing it depends on being in the Holy Spirit. Because it's important. We need to figure out what being in the Holy Spirit is because so much of the Christian life depends on being in the Holy Spirit. John 4.23 the hour is coming, in fact, it's now here when the true worshipers 
Does anyone here want to be an untrue worshiper? Yes, I'd like to sign up for being an untrue worshiper. The hour is coming, it's here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. So it's not just a matter of having things right in your head when you're worshiping and making sure the songs that we sing are theologically sound, although that's a really important thing to do. But that's not simply what it is. It's not just an issue of truth. There's something even beyond that. There's being in the Holy Spirit when we worship. For the Father is seeking these kinds of worshipers. High priority. See, God is spirit. Get it? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Our worship is some, has something to do with being in him. Let's take note and reach some conclusions from these passages. In each of these passages, something is happening. Either rejoicing, praying, a vision, the experience of peace, the experience of knowing our righteousness, and finally worship. Something is happening through people and to people, and it is somehow in the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be in the Holy Spirit? Well, guys, it's all caught up in the word in. So shall we do a New Testament word study of the word in? Will that tell us anything about this experience? Well, it's going to tell us everything about this experience. How can a two-letter word in be really, really significant? Well, this is interesting. Here's the definition. There's three definitions common in the New Testament that describe an activity or experience happening in the Holy Spirit. And these are the definitions. Number one, it is a marker of a state or condition. For instance, being in torment. Number two, it's a marker of close personal association with. E.g., one with, in union with, or joined closely to. Now here's the interesting one. It is a marker of the means, you've got to follow this logically. It's a marker of the means by which one event makes another event possible. And it would translate in by means of or through. Now let's put all these three together and come up with the phrase that encompasses all of the ways we can understand the word in. And here it is. This is our definition of the phrase in the Holy Spirit. A state or condition of close personal association or union or joining with the Holy Spirit by which another state or condition, event or activity is made possible. You're in a state or condition. You're in place one. You're here. You're in a particular emotional, mental, spiritual state of being. It could be happy. It could be sad. It could be peaceful. It could be anxiety. It could be all sorts of things. But you're in it. And then you begin to have a close personal association. You become in union with or join closely to the Holy Spirit. And as that unity with Him begins to happen, another event, the destination, position two, which you didn't 
choose in advance because he did because he's the one's going to carry you away a second event or state of being is made possible by this union with him and by means of this or through the union with him you arrive at another state of being which you could not have arrived at on your own no matter how hard you tried or applied your will or your brains or anything else, you couldn't get there. This is a place only made possible. This is a state of being only made experiential by the work of the Holy Spirit as you come into him and he takes you there. And you know what? You just got carried away. You just got carried away. In John 4, 23, 24, we're talking about worship. Worshiping in the Holy Spirit. What this means is that when we're worshiping in the Holy Spirit, it's a condition or state which happens to us through the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can make happen. It comes about by union with or joining closely to the Holy Spirit. It is a different state or condition from that which we were in before we entered into worship in the Holy Spirit. You just got carried away in worship. And the same thing is happening to Jesus when he's filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. In his humanity, he starts out in one place and the Holy Spirit takes him to another place. And when he's in that second place, he's absolutely so filled with joy. It's an overwhelming spiritual experience. It means that something happened to him through the Holy Spirit which was different from what he was experiencing before the Holy Spirit brought the joy. And when you're praying in the Holy Spirit, it's a different state from that which you started praying before you came into the Holy Spirit. And in each of these events, there's an increase in the personal closeness or association with the Holy Spirit. There is an increase in intimacy and an increase in communication between us and Him. And finally, by His power... He makes something happen which could not happen without his intervention, without his spiritual power. We got carried away. We're moved from one state of being to another, which results in a union with him, which is not theoretical, it's experiential. It's not an idea, it's an experience. And, so, and finally, some activity is made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit, which could not have been possible without his intervention, without his power. And now here's the point. In every case, this experience leaves us with a greater understanding of the nature of God. Not because we read it or heard it in a sermon, but because we experienced him. Guys, is this attractive or what? Come on. Come on. Understanding this, doesn't it make getting carried away <laughs> by the Holy Spirit just about the best possible thing that could happen to you? Well, what if it embarrasses me? When you're in that experience, you're not self-aware. You don't really care. Your focus isn't on you. Everyone else thinks you're a lunatic. But you know where you are? You're in the arms of God. 
You're transported. You're carried away. You're experiencing something so wonderful, you'll never forget it for the rest of your life. And you know what? You got sweat stains all over you. Your hair's a complete mess. You're lying on the, on, the, on the ground laughing or crying or something. And every one of your friends thinks you're a lunatic. And God says, I'm tickling you. What exactly are we afraid of? Are you going to let your fear of uncertainty, your fear of being out of control, stand between you and a greater experience of God? High price to pay for protecting our image. Come tell you a story where it all, where it all started for me. Because this, this message, I lived this message. So I'm just going to tell you the story. Is about about thirty years old, and I discovered through the small group that I was in that I had a teaching gift, and um, started doing a <laughs> little children's camps, summer children's camps, like daily vacation Bible school, and uh, if you can imagine me teaching little kids, it was didn't work, not not well. Then, then uh, junior high kids did a junior high camp, and they did a high school camp, and uh, then they invited me to do a, for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, they invited me to do a college uh, retreat. So I was doing a college retreat, and I, I knew nothing about the Holy Spirit except that there was the Father, the Son, and a bird. That was my understanding. There's a bird involved somehow. I don't get it. He landed on Jesus. It changed things for him, but it's kind of weird, and we certainly would not want to get carried away. I was a good intellectual Christian with a teaching gift. And here I am at this camp, and it's now Sunday morning, and church starts at 10 downstairs in the big hall. And I'm in my room, had breakfast. I'm in my room, it's 9 o'clock, and I'm going to have my quiet time. My quiet time, which is usually harmless. Okay, Usually not much happens in my quiet time, so it's safe for me. I read the Bible, I, I worship a little bit, and all is well. So I'm having my quiet time at 9 o'clock. And I'm an, un, okay, I'm an, this is hard for some of you to believe, but I'm an unemotional guy. I'm, I'm a left-brained intellectual, and that's my world, and I like it that way. And I feel comfortable in it. So I've got myself a real good sermon all prepared with lots of good examples and good reasoning from Scripture, and I'm, I'm safe and I'm comfortable. So I'm having my quiet time, and about 10 after 9... I'm reading something in the Bible about the love of God. And it starts to happen. I start getting touched by the love of God. And it's kind of overwhelming. So I start crying. And it's a surprise to me that I'm crying. Because I'm not that kind of person. So I cry for about half an hour straight just weeping because it feels so good 
And I look at my watch and it's 25 to 10 and I think, I gotta stop this. I gotta, I gotta pull myself together. I gotta get it together. I can't, uh, I can't show up at church looking like this. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna stop this. This, whatever this is. Because I don't know what this is at this point. It's just weird. But it's wonderful. Then this thought crosses my mind, well, this is God. And I go, yeah, yeah, I, yeah it's, this is God. Well, why would you stop it? I think, well, be, because I have to teach at 10 o'clock and I don't want to be in this condition. But this is God. Why would you stop it? That's kind of unassailable logic. So I thought, okay, just gonna let this go. So I cry till ten to ten, and at ten to ten, the leader of the worship band pokes his head in my door to remind me we're due downstairs in ten minutes, and I'm undone. I mean, I got snot coming out my nose. I'm just a mess. And I'm weeping. And he looks at me with genuine fear in his eyes. And he says, you gotta, you got to get down there. you got to teach. You're, you're like on in 10 minutes. What are you doing? I said, I don't know. And he said, well, you got to stop it. And I said, okay. And then he left. And I thought, okay, now I need to bring this under control. And then the thought, well, this is God. And I said to the Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand this. But if you want me to get up in front of those kids and cry for 45 minutes, that's what I'll do. Because I'm not going to stop what you're doing. So the tears stopped, and I felt somewhat secure. And I went down, and the worship started, and I got through worship, didn't fall apart through worship, got up to teach, started to teach. Message was good. Ten minutes in, I hit a phrase in my message about the love of God. And I just started crying. And I couldn't stop. Pretty soon, people are crying all over the room. And pretty soon, everybody's crying. All over the room. And that went on for at least 15 or 20 minutes. And then it just stopped. And that was the end of church. And I was utterly and completely undone and baffled. Like, what was that? I know it was God, but I don't understand it. So we went back to the city, and my band was doing a a benefit concert that night. And after the concert, this girl came up and said, I was there when it happened. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, at the retreat this morning, church, I was there when it happened. I said, oh, yeah. She said, what was that? 
I said, I don't know. But it was God. And it was really good. And she said, nothing like that has ever happened to me before. It was wonderful. What was it? I said, I don't know. But it was God and it was good. I found out later that that was the Holy Spirit. We all got carried away. But here's what's really cool. After that experience, something happened in my teaching that I didn't expect. It just got more powerful and more authoritative. And I found myself crying more often. I just get undone. And it's become sort of characteristic of the teaching gift that I have. If I stopped it, because you, you can, you can, you can say no more, God, and he'll back off. But I live in the fear that if I impose my will on his to stop it, maybe I'd lose more than the tears. Risk. It's all about risk. God's emotional and God is powerful. And he expects us to be emotional in our response to his emotions. And he expects us to move in his power. And it's fine to be out of control as long as we allow him to be the one who is control in control. Here's the question. Do you really want to get to heaven to find out that you missed so much of God's power in your life because you were so worried about how you would appear if you got carried away? Let's just pause for a minute and ask the Lord what he wants to do. I hear him saying, why are you afraid of me?
There's so much more of me than what you've experienced. Do you want more? What do you want from me? Will you trust me? Feel my presence right now. I'm here. I'm here for you right now. Sense my presence. What do you want to say to me?
you can trust me. So what do you think? We got 10 minutes. Isn't that amazing? You can't even get your kids if you want to. They're locked in a room. We got 10 minutes. What are you thinking? It's a, con- he's, it's a constant invitation with him. He's always inviting us to more. What stands in the way? Our agenda. Hmm? Our agenda. You know that someone, I, you've all heard it before, but <laughs> someone, I saw a meme Shelly got a meme off the internet. If you want to see God laugh, just tell him your plans. Something to that. What else stands in the way? preconceived ideas of how we're supposed to be or how we're supposed to act. Can you imagine how boring it must be for God? Always doing what we expect. Like he doesn't get a creative moment in his life because he's busy uh, attaining our expectations. Okay, how do we start? This is a horrible sermon. Threatening in every way. But if we take it seriously, I mean a little bit. Like say, let's say we're going to take it 20% seriously because that's about enough. How would you start? How does it start? Risking more of him. How does it begin? Hmm? That's really good. You don't receive because you don't ask. Gosh, that's in the Bible. A function of, of, of spending time with them, and enough time that 
you come to trust him as a person? Would you really risk, would you really risk your self-image with someone you didn't really trust? Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going <laughs> to. I have great plans for you, plans to prosper you. Really? Are you trustworthy? I was in Guadalajara teaching this thing, and one of the lines that came out was, it's really hard to work for someone you don't know. And yet we so often do that. We have to get to know him. Why trust him if you don't know him? How can you trust someone you don't really know? So carving out that time to get to know him probably a really good first step. Mindy, what were you going to say? problem is trying to be, I'm rephrasing it so you can all hear, the problem is that we come to God to be still and to be with him, and what we find as soon as we do it is our mind is racing with a million important things to consider, and oftentimes there are things to do for him. We get all caught up in our performance, and we have a hard time simply being with him. I have to remind myself continually in my quiet times as those thoughts rise up, I have to remind myself, well, I'm not here for that right now. That, right, that, that thought right there is important, but it's not important right now. Right now, I'm just here to be with you. I'm not working for you right now. We're not on a project. It's not about me. I just want to be with you. How are you here for me right now? You see, we can say to him, and it's the truth, you're here for me right now. In your prayer time, you, you carved out this 15 minutes, this 20 minutes of peace. Really good question. How are you here for me right now? I know you're here because you're everywhere. Your spirit's present. How are you here for me right now? How are you here for me right now? Let's just answer the question because we had this experience 10 minutes ago. We were sitting here in the presence of God. He was here. He's here. And he reminded us, he said, I'm here. I, if, I'm, if my memory's right, he said, I'm here. I'm, I'm here for you right now. In that stillness, as we were sitting here, what were you experiencing? What a wonderful image. What a wonderful way that he was present for you. Now you can take that memory and you can apply it to the next time you're rattled and anxious and you sit down and get still and remember him putting his arm around you and drawing you close. Simply being with him. 
How else was he present in that time of stillness that we accidentally stumbled into? How was he present for you? Peace. How many got peace? A lot of peace. How else was he present? See, the key to coming in to his presence is asking him oftentimes, what do you want to be for me right now? Who are you for me right now? And if we're really honest, we don't even know what we need right now. (laughs) Do I need a cuddle or do I need a word or do I need a correction? What do I need from you right now, Lord? What are you for me right now? How are you here for me right now? No, that sure isn't the power that you have. I asked this one guy, I know one of the finest theologians I've ever known, because I was struggling with holiness. And I said to him, what's holiness? And he said, for me, it would be about five minutes of not thinking about myself. And at first I thought it was a flippant answer. Then I realized, I'm not sure if I've ever had five minutes when I wasn't thinking about myself. Freedom. Freedom is when you're not thinking about yourself. You can ask God to still those thoughts. Help me, Lord. Because he wants us to hear him. He has a vested interest in your stillness. Still small voice. Okay, we're done. So, um, let's, uh, you know, that parable where the seed gets sown on the path and the bird representing Satan comes and picks it up and steals it, takes it away and it doesn't have a chance to bear fruit. How about... How about saying to yourself, before I go to bed tonight, by the end of the day, I want to spend 15 minutes of stillness with the Lord and ask him some of these questions of what he wants to be for me and who he is for me right now. And ask myself the question, why am I afraid of being carried away by the Holy Spirit? What is it about my life that I'm protecting What is it about me that I'm afraid to take that risk with him? And you can even ask him because he'll tell you if you ask him that question. You don't even have to ask yourself. He'll start to reveal it to you. But let's at least try to apply this word practically before the day is out. Okay? Now, get out of here. Go home. Go fellowship or something. Be nice to one another.